Well, most of you have heard me talk about Nap. Now, Nap was the pastor that led me to Christ, and also he was the pastor that uh, was at the church in Emmanuel where when I, when I was coaching at Mississippi State, that's the church that I went to. Uh, every summer there was a camp for kids, and I, I was a counselor there for some of the years. The camp was called Igthus, which is the Greek word for, uh, for fish. And if you take the letters of Igthus, of the Greek, it, the, those those that's why the symbol in the first century was the fish, because when the Christians would draw a fish, people would say, oh, that's a Christian, because the word ichthus, they would take the letters of the Greek word ichthus, and they would go, Jesus Christ, God, Son, Savior, because each one of those letters is the beginning of Jesus Christ, God, Son, Savior. That's how they would do it. And uh, so we had a camp called ichthus. And at the end of the week, and it was always a lot of fun, we had this this, this trial we would always find people guilty of, of things, you know, and, and it was like a kangaroo court, and it was a lot of fun, but Nap was always the judge, and everybody would be brought up, and they would do the judgment, and then Nap would always go, guilty without mercy. You know, he would always say that, because everybody was always found guilty. Nobody ever got off. But we think about us, okay, uh, before God. The truth is, we're coming for the perfect, righteous God. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The truth is that from the Word of God, we see that we're all guilty as charged. And we could say that, yes, we've all sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray, each one our own way. We may even try to hide it from ourselves or from others, but the truth is we've broken God's Word and we're sinful. And when we stand before Him, what is He going to say? Well, in Nap's court, it was guilty without mercy. In God's court, it's guilty but the grace and the mercy of God. And Jesus Christ came and died in our place, prayed for our sins, rose again, and offers the gift of eternal life, all through his grace and mercy, the gift of eternal life simply by faith. As we think about our lives, we all stay guilty, but we rest in the grace and mercy of God. Well, this evening, as we look at this passage, Joseph's brothers see their guilt. Now, they, they may have always known about it since those 20 years that they sold Joseph off into slavery and they lied to their father and said that he had been eaten by some animal or something. And they've lied all this time. But what's going to happen is this, that when we see the passage tonight and they stand before their brother, they don't even know who he is, they realize, you know, we, we're, we're, things are happening to us. And it's happening because what we did so long ago. They had hated uh, Joseph. They'd sold him into slavery. They'd lied to their father. And all this after 20 years is coming to pass. So we're going to see the brothers. We're going to see how they actually confess their sins to each other. In the sense saying we knew we did wrong. Joseph hears every bit of this. But he's been talking to them. He's been using an interpreter. He's talking Egyptian. They think he's an Egyptian. He hears everything they say. They don't know he can understand them. So it's powerful. Let me give you the passage tonight. Let's break it down. First of all, we're going to see that this is the whole passage. We're not going to get through about verse, but verse 24. So we see Jacob sends his sons to Egypt to get food. They're in the famine and they need food. There's the needs, the famine, they need food. Uh, Verses 1 through 4. Then Joseph recognizes and tests his brothers. Now we won't see it all tonight. We're going to see the first test tonight, and next week we're going to see the second test that he does on his brothers. And we're going to say, why is he testing them? What is he trying to do? And we'll talk a little bit about it tonight and more next time. And then they return to Jacob, or they return back to Jacob. They come without Simeon. We'll see why, what happens. We won't get to all of that. We'll see some of it tonight, but not all of it. But that's the rest of the passage. We'll see that next week. Well, let's begin. Let's just remember what's happened. Joseph been sold into slavery by his brothers. They hated him. They were jealous of him. He was sold to Potiphar, later put into prison. Uh, he then uh, understood these dreams, and Pharaoh had the 
dreams, and, and uh, he was called up out of prison, and they, Pharaoh said, I understand that you can interpret dreams, and he said, it's not really me, but God does it, tell me the dream, and of course, he found out the dream, and he told the king that there would be seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine, and that, that somebody needed to come up with a plan that they would store some grain up, 20, basically 20% up every year for the next seven years while there's abundance, and so then when there was the famine, there would be food. Pharaoh said, wow, this is, this is unbelievable. Who is, who's wise enough to figure all this out? And so he says, you are Joseph, and he makes Joseph number two in the whole kingdom, and he's going to oversee the project, and he becomes second only to the Pharaoh, and he gets a new name and a new wife, and you have two children, and all of this is going fine. And, and in chapter 41, being in verse 53, it all came to pass. Look back at chapter 41, verse 53. It says, when the seven years of plenty which had been in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come just as Joseph had said. And there was famine in all the lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. So when the land of Egypt, uh, so when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, you shall do. So he is the ruler other than Pharaoh. He is the most powerful man in Egypt. And as we ended last time, we raised some questions. Why would God warn the Egyptians about what's about to happen, about the, the famine? Well, number one, is this, this was God's way of raising up Joseph so he could be in a place of responsibility. He's warning the Pharaoh about the famine and, and, and using Joseph to do that. So Joseph becomes in a great place of responsibility. And he's in that place of responsibility to, to save the people. Because number two is, this is the place that God will bring his chosen people to protect them during the famine and remove them from Canaan. Now, there are two things that God does. There's the famine is for two reasons. One, to remove them from the land, because if they stayed in the land of the Canaanites, they would intermarry, it would be a mess. There's only 75 of them. Don't think of them as two million people. There's only 75 people in the whole family. And he removes them out of that land, and he puts them down in Egypt, and he protects them there during the famine. And that's what we'll see as we go through this. Uh, they entered Egypt with 75. They come out with over 2 million. And so this evening I see, I, I sort of look at this, and I think we see the awakening of the guilt of the brothers, and, and we're going to see that Joseph sees them for the first time in 20 years, and we're going to see all these things that happen. Well, let's, let's see what happens. The famine has come. Now, in Egypt, there's food. Because Joseph has, they've been storing this back. In fact, we saw in last chapter, it's been two or three weeks because I've been gone, but we saw in that last chapter that they, they had stored up so much they quit counting it. They said, we can't even count it anymore. We got so much extra stuff stored, we don't even have to count it anymore. Well, the famine comes and people are starving, but the Egyptians, of course, they're coming to Joseph and he's doling out some food, so they're okay. Well, what happens, what about Jacob and his family in the in land of Canaan, the Jewish people? If something doesn't happen, they'd all die. Where's the Messiah going to come from? So watch what happens. Chapter 42, verse 1. Now, Jacob was saw there that was grain in Egypt. And Jacob said to his sons, why are you staring at one another? <laughs> I love this. Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt. Do you remember that Jacob, uh, just think about it. Jacob thinks Joseph is dead. He's been gone for 20 years. He doesn't know what happened to his oldest son. All he knows is that an animal killed his son. That's what he thinks. His other sons have lied to him for 20 years. They have actually sold him into slavery. Word comes back that there is food in Egypt. And you can almost see him looking at his sons and saying, What are you doing just staring at each other? What he's trying to say, and I imagine it's the the old man who is frustrated, is saying, Can't y'all get some food? Uh, There's food in Egypt. What are you doing just standing around here? We've got to do something. 
He says in verse 2, Behold, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us from that place so that we may live and not die. You know, if you look at this from a particular, just from a human standpoint, we would say, if something doesn't happen, there aren't going to be Jews left. And if there aren't any Jews, there's no Messiah. So we're saying, get them some food somehow, right? But God's already got it planned. He's already raised up a Jew to be a number two in Egypt to provide food for his people so that they can go down there with 75 and come out as two million. That's God's plan. So it's amazing. So he says to him, why don't you go down to Egypt and buy, uh, buy some for us from that place so that we may live and not die. So uh, now when, when you say Egypt, listen to this. Egypt had a bad memory for these boys. This is where they sold their brother Joseph all those years ago. Remember the Ishmaelites were coming through and they were on the way to Egypt. And so when they sold their brother off into slavery... Egypt is sort of like a bad memory to them. And now their dad is saying, (coughs) there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy it so we may live and not die. Now remember, how many sons were there? There were 12. One is gone. Okay, so there's 11. Notice the next verse. Then 10 brothers of Joseph went down to buy grain from Egypt. There are 12 brothers. Joseph is in Egypt. So who does that leave? Who's going to stay back? Notice. Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, I'm afraid that harm might befall him. Now, when he says that, what do the other brothers think? So you don't care if anything happens to us. You just don't want anything to happen to him. Now, remember, Jacob had two wives and two handmaidens that produced these 12 sons, but his favorite wife was Rachel. He loved her above everybody else. He favored her above all the others. And they had two sons from Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. He loved her and showed favoritism. And that's what caused the problems to begin with, because Joseph was favored above everybody else. Benjamin is going to be favored above everybody else. Uh, You can hear him saying this, Look, I lost Joseph. I'm not losing another one of my sons. And they could look around and go, what are we? What are we? Well, one of the reasons for the hatred of Joseph was the fact that the favoritism, and it continues even to this day, there's still favoritism. So to be real honest, you know, you look at these families, and we've talked about this over and over, when you look at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and you look at all the families and you think of Abraham as the man of faith and Isaac and the, sort of the silent man and Jacob, and, but their families were a mess. All of them were a mess. And, and sometimes we look in the Bible and we see the names of these people and we say, oh, we could never be as good as Abraham and Isaac or Jacob or Joseph or David or Daniel. And yet, they're all messes. And guess what? We're all messes, you know. And that's what it is. His plan is to send the, sin, the, ten, to send the ten sons to Egypt to get food. So what happens? Verse 5. So the sons of Israel came to buy grain among those who were coming, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Everybody's coming, and they're all going. uh, The sons of Israel came to buy the grain, and everybody's coming up there for food. There's a lot happening. So what happens? Now Joseph, now we get sort of a, a summary. Now Joseph was the ruler over the land. He was the one who sold all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. 
And I, I don't know how to even picture this. In my mind, since we've seen so many movies, you know, you picture here's 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 this this place coming into a certain city in Egypt where the Pharaoh was living, and 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 there's grain there, and 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 there's a a place where people would come and line up, and they would have to. You can almost see Joseph sort of standing there deciding what to give people and what not to give people, and 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 suddenly Joseph's brothers came, and he sees them come up, and they bow their faces to the ground. Because this is what they're going to do. They say, I don't know, this person is an Egyptian ruler here, and he's very powerful. He's going to decide whether we get food or not. So what are we going to do when we get here? You can almost say, what are we going to do when we get We're going to all bow down. We're going to say, you uh, live forever, you know, all that, right? That's what they're going to do. Because uh, we got to have food. They don't realize that all those years ago, Joseph had told them that he had a dream. That they would all bow down before him. And they all went, we will never bow down before you. Well, I think this verse says, And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. He's second only to Pharaoh. Uh, the, the Hebrew word, therefore, it says uh, that uh, Joseph uh, was ruler over the land. But it says, Joseph, that's a very strong word. It means uh, it, it's a powerful word. It has that idea of a great leader. He's in charge. He's in complete control. Back in chapter 41, verse 44, Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in the land of Egypt. So he has total authority. They came and what? Bow down. And notice the next slide. This is the fulfillment of the dream that God gave to Joseph so many years before. And I've got the verses, we won't turn back there, but in Genesis 37, 5 and 8, 5 through 8, that's where he told them that the, the, the sheaf was there and, and his stood up and all theirs bowed down. And they, he said to them, you'll bow down to me. And they said, we won't. And then at the verse 10, he told, told his father that the sun and the moon and the stars all bowed down to him. And they knew what that meant. His father said, do you really think my, your, your mother and I and your brothers are going to bow down to you? And... The answer is, that's what the dream says. And sure enough, 20 years later, this is exactly what happens. Without knowing it, the brothers fulfill the dream. And they don't know Joseph's the ruler in Egypt, but they're bowing down to him. One thing that is amazing, God's word is always true. It always comes to pass. We're to base our lives on the scripture. It's our authority. That's why I love the Bible, because it's so perfect. It's never wrong. It's always right. Whatever it says comes to pass. It is true in every area. When it says that Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again, and you have eternal life and you believe in him, guess what? He died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again, and you have eternal life when you believe in him. Uh, when he says he's coming and he's going to rule in righteousness and justice for a thousand years, I guarantee you he's going to come rule on this earth for a thousand years because that's exactly what the Bible says. So how do you, what, what do we think about the authority in our life? Have we made decisions to live by the Scripture? There are a lot of people who are Christians, but the, the decision of their life is not the Scripture. The, the basis for their life and, and the fact that they say, this is how I'm going to live, it's not necessarily the Scripture. So as believers, we have to make a decision. What, how are we going to live? What are we going to do? What are we going to live by? Well, notice what happens. When Joseph, verse 7, when Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he disguised himself to them and spoke to them harshly. And he said to them, where have you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Now he saw them. You can, you can almost see him standing there like this because he's the ruler. And he sees them coming up and you can see him going... That's my brothers. And they're bowing down to him. 
And what is he going to do? Is he going to go, my brothers? You know, he's not going to do that. He could have. Listen, besides Pharaoh, who's more powerful than this man? Nobody. He could say, everybody stand back. My brothers just showed up. I'd like them all stand up here with me. He could do anything he wants to do. But he doesn't. He looks at them, and then he spoke harshly to them. You could say, he's just mad at them for what they've done 20 years ago. No, he's not. Because Joseph, we know, toward the end of the book, what does he say? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He, he's already come to that realization. See, every place God's ever put him, all he's ever done is be faithful. And he just recognizes that God is using him. So why is he going to speak harshly to them? What is he doing? We're going to find out that he's about to test these brothers. Because you know what he wants to find out? He wants to find out if they're still the same Boys, are they still the ones that don't say, are they still angry? Are they still jealous? Do they still fight among themselves? And you know another thing he wants to know? What happened to my brother? Because I don't, I, I only see ten. Where's my brother? Did they kill him too? Like they killed me? Or like they thought they killed me? You know, like they shipped me off? I mean, is that what they're doing. So he spoke harshly to them and he said, where have you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. But Joseph had recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered the dreams which he had about them. And he said to them, you are spies. You've come to look at the undefended parts of our land. Now he's, he's doing this. He, he's remembered the dreams. He remembered they would bow down. He's seeing this is all from God. He's going to test his brothers. How do they feel about what they did to him? And I put it right here. How do they treat each other? How did they treat his little brother? What are they like now? It's been 20 years. He says, you're spies. And they will go, uh, we're not, we're not, we're not spies. No, we're, we're not, we're not spies. Are they going to tell the truth? What are they going to say? Look at verse 10. They said to him, No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. What would uh, Joseph call them? Liars? Haven't they been lying? Haven't they lied for 20 years to their daddy about what happened to Joseph? We are honest men. Do we say we're honest you ever lied? We're all liars, right? But you could say, best, best, we, best we can, Lord, we're trying to be honest. We're all sons of one of, of an honest man. Verse 12. Yet he said to them, no, but you have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. He's just making all this up because he knows. He knows who they are. He knows what they're doing. Egypt is the most powerful. At this stage, Egypt is the most powerful nation in the world. And they got all the food. So watch. They begin to explain. They said, your servants are twelve brothers in all, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no longer alive. Did they tell the truth? Well, what did they say? Your servants are twelve brothers in all, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. Behold, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no longer alive. They don't know whether he's alive or not. They, they, as far as they're concerned, what? He must have been dead by now. He's been gone for 20 years. 
So they're saying, well, there were 12 of us. Wait, there were 12 boys and our dad, and our youngest one is with our dad, and, and one of them is no more. They're assuming that he's dead. Listen, there's, I like this next slide. They're still holding, they're still holding to their story. Right? One is no more. Watch this. Next slide. They don't realize that they're lying to the one person who really knows what happened to the one is no more. Right? There's one who's no more. He, Joseph could say, I, I think he's more. He's not no more. I think he's more. Right? Joseph could be thinking, maybe they haven't changed. They're still what? Liars. So look what he does. Joseph said to them, It is I said to you, you are spies, but by this you will be tested. Now this is the first test. He's going to give them two tests. We won't see the second test tonight. We'll see it next week. Here's the first test. He said, Joseph said to them, it is, as, as I said to you, you are spies. By this you will be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. This is to bring, you know, what's the point of the testing? I think he's going to say, what are they like? How, what, why, does he, why does he want the youngest brother? Why does he want them to bring the youngest brother? Right, but why does he want them to bring him there? What's, how have they treated him? They just said the youngest was with dad, one is no more. He says, no, the more is here, and I don't know if the one is still with dad, because I don't know if you killed him or did something with him like you did to me. So what I want you to do is I want you to bring your youngest brother up here. Test number one, what are they going to do? Bring the younger brother. He wanted to see this younger brother. He wanted to see how they were treating him. He wanted to see if he was still alive. So, but of this test, there are two plans. Okay, here, number one, I think. Plan number one, we're going to send one to get the younger and put the rest in prison. Watch what he says. Verse 16. Send one of you that he may get your brother while you remain confined that your words be tested, whether there's truth in you, but if not, by the life of Pharaoh, sure you're a spies. So he put them all together in prison for three days. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you all in prison, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to send one of you back and the rest of you are going to stay in prison. And one's going to go back, get the younger brother, and bring him back up here. That's plan number one. So who's going to stay in prison? All of them but what? All of them but one. Now, uh, you know what they're thinking? Uh, this is bad. And you know what we did 20 years ago? We did what? Bad. And be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatever a man... Souls that should they also reap. They're saying, you know, this is coming back on us. But then Joseph, in his grace, changes the plan. Plan number two. We're going to leave just one brother in prison and let the rest go back to get the younger brother. So he made a change. Instead of putting them all in prison and sending one back, he decides to put one in prison and send them all back. Look what he says. Now Joseph said to them, now watch what he says. Joseph said to them on the third day, do this and live for I fear. He says God. He says Elohim. That's the God of the Hebrews. He said to them, listen, uh, do this and live. I fear God. He's telling them he fears the real God. Because what would an Egyptian said? I fear gods. 
the gods, or I fear, I, I, uh, uh, I fear the Nile River, or the sun, or the frogs, or the, or the beetles, or the, all these different things. Because they had all those gods. But he didn't say that. He said, I fear God. And I think all of a sudden they go, who is, who is this? Who is this Egyptian? Because they think he's an Egyptian. They must have been impressed by an Egyptian ruler who said he feared God. Watch verse 19. If you're honest man, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison. But as for the rest of you, go carry grain for your families of your households and bring your youngest brother to me so your words may be verified and you will not die. And they did so. Now, that's a summary statement. But listen to this. He says, here's my test. I want to see the youngest brother. I want to see the youngest brother. Leave one brother in prison and 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 then the others go back and and get him now here's the question what will they do with the brother they leave behind they could never come back right what if what if the younger brother's dead what if they had done something to benjamin and so after they get the grain they go and never come back because they can't come back right what about the brother that's left behind well, that's just another brother who's going to die, right? I mean, he's testing them to see, do they love each other? Will they forget him? What will they do with the brother left behind? What's happening with these? Watch. Verse 21. Watch. This is a key part of the section. Then they said to one another, Truly we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us. Yes, we would not listen. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. What brother are they talking about? Joseph. They're, they're saying this in Hebrew to each other. They got this Egyptian ruler standing there that they don't think this Egyptian knows what they're saying. Joseph's not an Egyptian. He knows every word they're saying. Now he, We're going to see in another time. He's speaking through an interpreter. So instead of talking to them in Hebrew, he says, he, he talks to them, and then there's an interpreter. So they don't think he can speak Hebrew. And they're standing there saying, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. This is coming back on us because what we did. This is coming back on us. We are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us. Yes, we would not listen. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. We're guilty concerning our brother. We've done wrong concerning Joseph. They're saying it. This is confession. This is due to our sin. Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall she also reap. And that is what happened. Now watch this. Look at this right here. Look what Reuben does. Reuben says this. Reuben answered them saying, Did I not tell you don't sin against the boy? And you would not listen? Now comes the reckoning for his blood. Now, that's not exactly accurate. Because we're, we always say, oh, I said not to do that, but let's go get the records and see what he said. He didn't want to kill Joseph, but he wasn't opposed to them throwing him down in the well and maybe selling him. But he did not want to kill his brother. See, at first, remember what they said when they saw Joseph coming? They said, here comes that dreamer, let's do what? Let's kill him. Reuben, I mean, uh, Reuben said, no, 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 let's don't kill him. 
because we don't want his blood on our hands. That's what he was saying. So now he reminds them, don't you remember? I told you not to kill the boy. I told you not to sin against the boy. You wouldn't listen. Now comes the reckoning for his blood. They've come to the place where they recognize their sin. It reminds you of the life of David when he sinned with Bathsheba, had Uriah killed. Best we can tell from Scripture, it was close to a year before he actually dealt with his sin. And that's when he wrote Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. And that's when Nathan came to him and challenged him and he recognized his sin. Well, these guys are recognizing what they've done. Now, let me, let's talk for just a second about sin. Uh, we all know that we've sinned and come short of the glory of God. We know that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sin. When we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, we receive the forgiveness of sin. The payment for sin happened. When Jesus died on the cross, we receive forgiveness for sin when we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, as a Christian, and we have sin in our lives here, these men, best we can tell, they're believers. They have sin in their life. What do we do when we have sin in our lives as believers? Well, the bottom line is we confess our sin. We deal with our sin. I think I have, that, that's the word. We talked about it in my Sunday school class I, I, just last Sunday about the whole idea of what do you do when you sin. And the whole idea is confession. And in Psalm 32, David dealt with that. Hebrews 6 tells us that the Lord deals with us. When we sin, we're to confess our sin. One of the most famous verses, of course, is 1 John 1, 9. He tells us that if, we're, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. We know confession means to tell on yourself. And I'm not going to go into a lot of details. We've taught this so many times at Countryside. But the, the bottom line is when you sin, you tell on yourself. You say, Lord, I lied. Lord, I did this. That's what confession is. We see sin as God sees it. it we see it in two ways. We see that it's wrong and we see that it's paid for. And uh, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. The blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses us from all sin. That's First John 1, 7. So we're supposed to confess our sin. So let me ask you this question when we think about it. How do you and I deal with sin in our lives? Do we realize that it's wrong? Do we confess it? Do we forsake it and go on with our lives? See, one of the key things... First John 1, 9 basically says we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. In the Proverbs it says... Whoever confesses and forsakes sin prospers. There's a key. There's, it's, it's, you need to confess it so we can get back in the fellowship. But what we also need to do is forsake it, is to, go, is to move away from it, to, to not keep doing those things. God deals with us as with children, and he brings us to the place that we need to deal with sin. And that's what's happening here. And God is using Joseph to test these men. And Joseph's testing them to find out what kind of men they are. And you could almost see, Joseph, why are you doing this? Why, why didn't you just immediately go, my brothers are here. So what do you need? Food? Where's dad? Let's bring everybody over here. Why didn't he do that? No, because he knows what they were like 20 years ago. You remember if we looked at some of those chapters right before we got to the part of Joseph, I mean, they were doing all kind of things. And we were saying, listen, if they keep staying with these Canaanites, there's no telling what's going to happen to them. And so I think Joseph is saying, what type of men are my brothers? What have they done with Benjamin? What will they do with Simeon when we leave him here? Are they going to come back? Are they liars? Are they, they love one another? How did they treat my brother as, as compared to the way they treated me? So I think there's a lot of things there. What would they do about Simeon? What about Benjamin? What's going to happen there? Notice Joseph's response when, when they're talking, and they don't even know that Joseph knows what they're saying. Watch this. Uh, once again, let me look at verse 22. Reuben said to them, Did I not tell you don't sin against the boy, and you would not listen? Now comes the reckoning for his blood. They did not know, however, that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. See, Joseph had, had acted like he couldn't understand them. Notice what he did when he heard him say these things. 
he turned away from them and wept. But when he returned to them and spoke to them, he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Can you picture him standing there making these deals and being so overcome with emotion that he went, I'll be back. (laughs) I mean, you know, he had to turn away from them. He didn't want them to see. What does it say he did? He turned away from them and wept. He couldn't weep in front of them. Uh, People say, I I thought he was kind of number two on the all-time list here, and he's a crybaby, you know, right? Uh, So he had to, you know, we're going to see this is not the first time. This is not going to be the last time this happens. He returned, he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. I have it right there. What would they do about Simeon? And what about Benjamin? What's going to happen? They're going to go back to to, uh, Jacob, right? Now, what do you think is going to happen when they get back? They're going to say, where is uh, Simeon? Well, we've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is we've got some food. The bad news is we've got to take Benjamin back. You know what he's going to say, don't you? You're not taking him back. He's Jacob is willing to leave Simeon in prison in Egypt for the rest of his life. He is not going to part with Benjamin. That's pretty tough, isn't it? That's pretty tough. We'll see what happens. Well, we've seen the famine. Jacob sent the ten sons. <coughs> they bowed before Joseph without even knowing it. Joseph tests them. He says, bring the youngest. The brothers confess their guilt to each other. God's working in their lives. He keeps Simeon, and he begins to test them. Now, there's going to be a second test. You want to see the preview of the second test? Look at the next verse, verse 25. Then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to restore every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey, and thus it was done for them. Why would he put the money back in the sacks? Think about it. Why would he do it? Test them and what, see if they're honest, because what's going to happen? When they come back... Are they going to say, by the way, we uh, we got extra money. I, uh, th- this money's not ours because the money we paid, it got put back in these sacks. We don't understand that. So here's the money back that we originally gave you, and here's the money. Is that what they're going to do? Or are they going to come back and say, uh, we got more money for grain? He's testing them. Are they honest? He's testing them about his brother and his family, and he's testing them about their honesty powerful stuff let me give you some applications first one is this deal with sin in our lives because that's what we're seeing come out it is coming out that the first way of course to deal with sin is you trust in jesus christ as savior jesus christ has already paid for sin but to receive the forgiveness of sin comes by faith and so when we trust in him we receive the forgiveness of sin and then as a believer we have to deal with sin in our lives and so we should confess it whenever there's sin it breaks fellowship with god it doesn't break our relationship but it breaks our fellowship we tell on ourselves we admit that we're wrong we see sin as God sees it, it's wrong and it's paid for. And then B, as we forsake it, we move away from it. Jesus said, go and what? Sin no more. That's what he said. Uh, he didn't say, well, just keep sinning and keep confessing because that's the plan. Well, the plan is when you sin, you what? You confess. But the plan is not just keep doing the same sin over and over and confessing it and saying that it doesn't matter. He said, confess 
and forsake. Second application is base our lives on the word of God. That's what we're seeing. Over and over, it's always true. Every promise about the bowing down and everything came to pass. And we're going to see that the commands and principles and truths of God's word are always exactly right. So we should live according to the scripture. The third one I put down was just treat each other in love. That's what they should be doing. That's what they should how they should have treated Joseph originally, uh, uh, especially in a family unit. You know, kids, family. I mean, it's a tough situation. Situation with four different mamas, so to speak, and and Ab- and Jacob and all of this stuff, and yet uh, they they did not get along well with each other. I think by the time this is over, wait wait till the next chapter. They all sit down to eat. They're all there, and he puts them from the oldest to the youngest, and they look around going, "How did he know this?" They still don't know it, and they give Benjamin five times as much food as everybody else. Why did he do that? That's a test. Are they going to go, why does Benjamin get more food? Why did Benjamin get more food? That's not fair that Benjamin got more food. He's testing them. Are they going to argue? Are they fuss? Are they jealous of each other? Are they still the way they used to be? If you want to, read ahead and see what happens when he gets more food. Powerful stuff. Last but not least. We have to trust God in the situations of life over and over and over again. Do you know what Jacob says when... When they come back and they say, by the way, Simeon's in prison and we've got to take Benjamin back. He says, everything is against me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And I'm about to lose Benjamin. Everything is against me. He didn't realize it. Not, nothing was against him. Everything was for him. He didn't realize it. He's about to go from starving to death to being in the best place in Egypt with his own son he hasn't seen in 20 years, alive and ruling and having all the food they want and being blessed. And he thinks everything is against him. Sometimes in our lives we have circumstances and things come in and we say, everything is against me if nothing ever turns out right. And what we should say is, Lord, I have to trust you because I don't know what you're doing. I don't know the ultimate plan. I know you're working all things according to the counsel of your will. And I have to trust you in all events of life. So may we deal with sin in our lives, basing our lives on the word of God, seeking to love others and trust God as he works in our lives. Let's pray, and when you've got any questions or comments, we'll talk about them. Heavenly Father, what a night. Thank you for the passage. Lord, there's just so much as we look at all these things in the life and of, of Joseph and Jacob and everybody else. And Lord, we just want to deal with sin. We realize that through Jesus Christ, we have eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. And then when we sin, as far as our fellowship is concerned, we confess it and forsake it, and we can continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. Lord, thank you for the Bible. We live in our lives on the Bible, and that we show love one for another because... And in reality, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, and we thank you for that. And then, Lord, we just have to trust you no matter what's going on. We just don't understand. We can't see the future, but we know that you know the future, and you are working all things according to the counsel of your will. May we trust you in every event of life. Thank you, Lord, for your great love to us in Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.